Welcome to Future Projection, a Baseball America podcast. I'm Carlos Colazzo, joined as always by Ben Badler. This is episode 63 of the podcast. We're recording in October, the first podcast of October this year, which means playoff baseball is right around the corner. Uh, but Ben, how you doing, man? What's going on? What are you up to? Just getting ready to go down to the epicenter of the baseball universe. Of course, Jupiter, Florida for the yeah. WWBA World Championship. Absolutely. This Both Ben and myself will be at that event. Uh, probably the biggest, I would say certainly the biggest amateur event annually. Uh, certainly that I go to. I can't think of one domestically that's bigger than Jupiter just with certainly the quantity for of players. A, yeah, for a travel ball tournament, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. area codes, East Coast Pro. Like, those oh, are yeah. Big. Those are big. I just mean in terms of the actual volume of players and teams. Like I can't imagine that a bigger event than Jupiter. I, I've certainly never seen one. It's almost overwhelming at times, but there are a ton of good players on these rosters. We'll see how many of these players are actually on the field and, and playing in Jupiter when we get down there. It's it's very normal for some of the top guys to drop out, but no, it'll be fun. It'll be good to see you in person, Ben, maybe taking a few games, although uh, it's probably best to divide and conquer at that event, just considering how many how many games are going on at the same time. But either way... Is that your strategy? You, you stay on one side? keep me on the other <laughs> well we, we probably are going to be watching different different age players or at least bearing down for the most part on different age players but yeah i mean it, it does feel a bit feels like a bit of a waste if we were both watching one field while there's 12 other fields and a million other players um doesn't seem like the most uh, resource savvy move from us but maybe we can take in a few together i don't think fun. we've seen each other in person this year have we no, I think the only opportunity that we would have had is in San Diego overlapping for area codes because you did underclass, uh, which ran right into upper class area codes. And, and I believe we, we didn't see each other then. Oh, uh, so, yeah. You didn't see me wave on the plane. No, plane I didn't. Flying out of San Diego. I didn't. Although, did it rain for you in San Diego at underclass? No. It, it rained no. on us at the upper class. And I was. Oh, uh, I know you didn't stunned. have an umbrella. <laughs> no i did not have an umbrella as a matter of fact i don't think a single person in that stadium had an umbrella because we were under the impression that it wasn't allowed to rain in san diego in the middle of the summer but thankfully it was about five minutes of the lightest rain you could imagine and uh, it was it's quite funny to see that but i, well, I think we probably I'm will get rain survived. in florida i did survive hopefully you've got your umbrellas packed for florida because we're definitely I just i just packed it yeah this, this morning I'm i sure. will not be packing I, I might bring a second one just for you so when yeah you can you can bring one and give it to me when I, you're I wet shivering it. no i don't need an umbrella but thank you we'll we'll definitely have uh, probably every day it'll rain at some point that seems like the the move for florida i hate it but it's not yeah, too bad florida florida baseball in in october what could go yeah. wrong we don't have any hurricanes coming through do we not not this year okay thankfully. thank god all right, well, we can get into some more amateur stuff later on in the podcast, but it's actually, we don't typically record this early in the week. We're recording earlier uh, because of this travel we have coming up. We want to keep our, our hitting streak alive with the podcast every week. Uh, so it's a little bit earlier in the week, but it actually kind of works out perfectly because we're nestled right into the end of the regular season. The regular season's wrapped up. We have the playoff field set. Um I guess every year two for Jupiter, you, you kind of miss a lot of the playoff action, but you know, the sacrifices you have to make for working in baseball sometimes involve not actually watching baseball. Um, although in our case, we're just watching a different kind of baseball, but 
Do you have any thoughts on on the end of the regular season, uh, looking ahead to the postseason, any postseason predictions, uh, or have you realized like me that it's uh, a fool's errand to try and predict what's going to happen in the playoffs now that the teams are in? It was a little anticlimactic, I think, the end of the season this year. Sometimes we have that last day of the season where there's so much on the line, and it's just such an adrenaline rush to excuse me, an adrenaline rush to watch everything play out but this year it just felt like all right like just let's move on <laughs> there's nothing <laughs> nothing major to be determined here so mm. um but i i don't know do, do you to me i i think the like i i agree there's nothing there's no team that's like oh an overwhelming favorite even even the People... biggest People seem to be putting the Braves in that category, and I'm a bit mystified as to why. Like, I'm reading a lot of playoff preview, just content in general, because it's it's fun. There are plenty of teams that that I could stand to get some more information about as we're getting into this point. But it really feels like every time the Braves are mentioned, people are like, "Oh, they're clearly the best team." And don't get me wrong, I do think the Braves are the best team. I think they were the best team all year. Wins, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think they're definitely the best team. But just the the way people are. And everyone, every baseball writer couches it this way because it's baseball. Everyone's like, oh, you never know what can happen. But I just feel like the the gaps between the best teams and in scenarios like the playoffs are just much smaller. Things can get really weird. I think it's like more rare for the best teams in any given season to win the World Series than the field, which makes sense. This is also why I'm a huge proponent of just viewing the regular season champion. Like that, the fact that the Braves won as many games as they did and were so dominant over the regular season, it will be more impressive to me than whatever happens in this playoffs. Like, the playoffs will be a joy to watch. They'll be a lot of fun. It'll be exciting. And the World Series is obviously meaningful. It's like the biggest trophy. But in terms of, like, difficulty of sustained success, the regular season champion to me is much more impressive. And I, I guess we're not, or I'm not doing this playoff preview uh, very well by basically down and down playing it entirely. But I just, it wouldn't be surprising to, like, it shouldn't be surprising to anyone if the Braves lost in their first series when, when they get Miami or Philly or whoever they wind up getting. Like, yes, they should be the favorites, but I mean, they've lost series this season to significantly worse teams. So just anything yeah, can I happen. Think the, just reiterating the point, that. Yeah, the point is anything can happen in these small sample sizes of games. And even the strongest favorite, which I think the Braves are the favorite, not only mm. because of the talent on the team, but of their path to uh, or their potential path to the World Series. Mm. Even the, the biggest favorite going into the playoffs to win the world series can't be greater than what 20 25 i mean if they're a very strong favorite it's not like oh if they don't win the world series like this is some huge yeah. shock like they're I'll still up, gonna yeah. i'll pull up the odds because uh i believe you're kind of right in the exact ballpark so the best odds in baseball are the Braves. This is by Fangraphs, by the way. 25.5% chance to win the World Series. Uh, the next best team in the National League is the Dodgers at 14.3%. Uh, after that, you have the Astros at 20% in the American League. And then uh, the Rays at 7.2%. So all of those, except for the Rays, would be the teams you expect. I imagine a significant boost to World Series chances are just the fact that you have a buy in the first round and that's already mm -hmm. just a chance to avoid elimination so it is interesting to me actually just looking at those playoff odds 
that the Orioles do not have the fourth best chance to win the World Series. Uh, the Rays, I guess, just their run scored and runs allowed over the regular season, according to Fangraphs, give them a better chance. So I think that maybe tells us something about at least how the Orioles are built, uh, or or maybe just the very least it'll tell us is like what Fangraphs thinks of the Orioles. But that one is fascinating. Do you, do you think the Orioles? Uh, have overperformed their their true talent, uh, or do you think that that you would buy them as being more likely to win, just given the nature of the bracket? I think they have a difficult path to it. Yeah, between because you're gonna they do have the buy, obviously that helps, but then like the Rays and the Rangers. I mean, I'm fascinated to see how the Rays do. Obviously, the postseason odds calculator. I don't know if that incorporates the current state of the race versus I believe, I believe it does yeah it does okay um because <laughs> they've had some significant um changes to to their roster throughout the entire season yeah it's I'm definitely not like curious. factoring in guys who have long been off the team like some injuries to McClanahan, Wander franco not being there like i don't i'd be shocked it was factoring that in still yeah i'm, I'm curious to see how junior camonero does like mm-hmm. i think it would be phenomenal to see him yeah. go off in the postseason and have him become a household name that That'd be amazing. everybody knows about and then people are like wait where did this guy like just like <laughs> obviously people listening here know about junior camonero but the whole uh, the baseball pace- fandom at large yeah we'll know more about him be like wait how hmm. did they get him and then they're they've like, got another one again <laughs> yeah they trade him for who who like, <laughs> yeah so no like, and I think, too, with Camonero, and maybe this is the case with the Orioles, too, but the projection systems always seem to be least accurate with young players just because there's not a sample of of data at the major league level that, that the systems can uh, at least more consistently evaluate. I think the biggest error bars are on prospects and just young players because, again, their minor league data um, could be really noisy compared to the projection systems for 10-year big league veterans where you kind of know what their performance is going to be. So I think that could be part of um, what's going on with with Baltimore? I'm, I'm a little surprised. Their odds, exa- I don't know if I even said them. Um, so for the AL East teams, they, they've got three clubs in. The Rays have a 7.2 percent chance to win. The Blue Jays have a 5.7 percent chance to win, and the Orioles are third in that division at a 5.3 percent chance to win. I think even outside of talent, outside of what you think of the roster, outside of matchups, it, it seems surprising to me that both the Rays and the Blue Jays have better odds to win the world series than the Orioles who just by the fact of their regular season record don't have to play a first round, but the blue Jays and the Rays had to play the first round. I think both the Rangers and the twins seem like flawed teams, but it wouldn't surprise me if either of those teams advanced. Like I think the Rangers have one of the deepest lineups in the postseason field. The twins actually sneakily seem like one of those rosters that, that might just be able to do better in the playoffs or overperform. They hit a lot of home runs their pitching staff strikes out a lot of batters. I think the Braves a few years ago actually uh, were able to win the World Series when they weren't the best team in the field because they had a lot of power and they did strike out a lot of batters. So I'm, I'm curious to see how they perform. Uh, and I'm also curious to see if they can finally snap this curse. I think it's like 18 consecutive postseason games they've lost at this point. Um, I was going to say the Twins would be jumping up. Twins fans must be jumping up and down here, and you say that, that they're going to perform better in the postseason <laughs> than the regular season because that's not been the case for, what, over 
15. No, I mean, maybe they can be happy that they're not playing the Yankees. Uh, I feel like that has been the team that's really given them the most pain in the past. But I, I also think, even though I pick, I think my preseason prediction for the World Series was Braves over Blue Jays. I'm glad that both those teams are still in the field, so that prediction doesn't look completely ridiculous. But it does seem to me like the Blue Jays are one of... I would be most surprised, I think, if the Blue Jays made a run, just given what their team has looked like, how they've how they've gotten it done. Um, the offense, I have some questions about. I have some defensive questions, too. Uh, although the outfield there seems pretty good. But I, I guess, what team are you most skeptical of of making a run? Because it seems like the Blue Jays and Marlins would be the two obvious teams. I'm curious if you have a team outside of them that you'd be like, eh, I don't think this is their year. Uh, I mean, any team that's playing in a wild card game is... Mm basically close to a coin flip to, yeah. <laughs> to not make it out. So those would be the obvious ones. Yeah, I mean, I'd say, yeah, probably Marlins, D-backs, um, Blue Jays. I mean, if I'm looking at the teams that have a bye, I mean, starting the American League, who, who would you rather be right now, the Astros or the Orioles, just in terms of the potential matchup where the Orioles will play what the – the Rays. Oh, I would much rather be in the Astros seat where that's you're playing either that's the Twins or the Blue Jays. Yeah, I would I would much rather have the winner of that series than the winner of Rays Rangers. Both Rays and Rangers scare me quite a bit. And I think it's a pretty tough draw for Baltimore. That's just how the seating uh like shook out. Yeah, so that's where I would probably give the edge right now in the AL to the Astros. Mm. I think yeah. the Orioles are they just as, if not more talented. Mm-hmm. than them right now they don't have the same level of postseason experience which i think probably matters to a certain degree but probably a pretty small factor yeah, relative I'm to just i'm out i'm out on that one entirely <laughs> you don't think there's anything to just having players who have you know just got just gone through the routine who have played into october before who've been through that environment you don't think it's as any benefit I, I, it might have some benefit, but no, not really. I mean, I think I'd rather just have the most talented team, regardless of postseason experience. Um, I, I would I as well, pick. but I don't think it's a it's a zero. Factor. If it's not a zero, I don't think that I feel confident enough in like being able to identify how valuable it actually is, or it just being like the noise of of like explaining away team success. So I I would be towards the bottom end of the spectrum of telling you that oh, this is really beneficial. Because I think sometimes it can even go in the opposite direction where you're playing a player every day that probably should not be playing because he's a veteran and maybe there's a younger player that lacks the experience that might actually give your team a better chance to win. But, I don't think the Astros would do that. <laughs> That's like the exact team, I think, that you can maybe critique for that. So, I mean, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to go full spreadsheet nerd here and say that it's meaningless. I feel like just being in that environment... It has to mean something, whether it's just like helping you prepare on game day or just helping you calm your nerves or just like there there clearly is a, a huge mental side of baseball that, that maybe it is a factor. But I also just think the I think everyone who reaches the major leagues has already proven that they are like mentally tough enough for that environment, if that makes sense. Like, I think they've gone through a culling process to where if the big lights really messed with you i don't think you would be in the major leagues in the first place does that make sense 
Yeah, but I'm not saying like the Orioles players are soft or lack mental toughness mm. or whatever other words you want to like attribute. <laughs> Adley Rushman to it. notoriously lacks the makeup necessary for a big time catcher. <laughs> no, I'm just saying there's something to having a familiarity of go- having gone through mm. the process and the the preparation and and knowing what it yeah uh, no knowing what everything entails having played an extra month into the season having put mm. your body through that although you could you could just as may easily make the case maybe uh you know the the younger players mm. who are in their maybe early mid 20s um are actually built physically more for yeah. durability to go deeper into the season than a team that has maybe more experience but if players who are in their 30s and and may not have the same level of uh um you know durability later into the season yeah, that's a good call. I, I think there could be an interesting conversation to be had about like how the veterans get their bodies ready in October after you've already banked 162 games, or I guess 161 in the case of the Marlins, uh, versus the young <laughs> players who maybe maybe they haven't reached the part in their career where they need to be as serious about their like recovery, and, and maybe that could start to be a factor. I could see it. I, I could see it going both ways, just like you laid out. Maybe it's just better to be young and and have your body that's just less worn down. Um, yeah, I, I could see it either way. I'd be, I'd be open to changing my opinion on this base. Like if we had a player come on and say, Oh, these are all the reasons why it's, it was beneficial for me this year compared to, you know, my first experience. So I remain open-minded, but skeptical, I guess I'll say Ben. All right. Well, I'll leave an invitation open to Mookie Betts and Ronald Acuna if they want to come yeah, on the pod. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, but I do think on paper, the edge and the AL, just in terms of matchups, mm. I would rather be in the Astros position than the Orioles. And then in the NL, I'd rather be in the Braves position yeah. than the Dodgers, where the Braves will face the Phillies or Marlins, and then the Dodgers may end up having to face the Brewers. So I, I think that's a tough matchup. The Brewers are scary. I think the, the, I think the Phillies are more scary than the D-backs, but I agree with you. I would rather be in the Braves position here in the National League side. Just a chance to face. Like if Again, we talked about how the first round can essentially be a coin flip. If you wind up facing the Marlins, which based on like run differential are one of the worst teams. I mean, they're the worst team in the playoff field. I think they're one of the worst teams in some time to, to make the playoffs. Part of that is obviously uh, just the fact that it's expanded playoffs now, but they, only, yeah. they want two more games than the Padres. Yeah. I mean, that's tough. <laughs> that's tough for the Padres, but yeah, the Brewers starting pitching scares me. And I feel like the Brewers could be a sneaky good matchup against both the Dodgers or the Braves, just considering how both those teams are, are dealing with some some pitching depth questions, some starters being injured. I'm not sure exactly uh, when Max Fried and Charlie Morton will be ready to go for the Braves. I think there's a chance they'll be more ready than the Dodgers. But the, the Brewers' top three arms are terrifying. Um you have to feel reasonably confident when you're running out those pitchers in the playoffs. I mean, I, th- I think both the Braves and the Dodgers have a comfortably better lineup, but I mean, I think you can make a case right now that the Brewers have the best pitching staff in the playoffs. Maybe them, yeah. them and the Rays, I think would be the two teams, them, the Rays, the twins, Blue Jays have been kind of good. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Braves lineup to me is just so, it's just a, lineup full of murderers man yeah. <laughs> like i i think to me if i had to pick a team they would be my pick between the talent on the field and their potential path to a world series i agree yeah i think so too if you had to pick one that's the team that you would pick 
I believe they came one point of WRC plus to Orlando Arcia from from their entire lineup having a 100 or better WRC plus, which just kind of goes to show you there's literally no hole in that lineup. It's just an absolute murderer's row. Except they, for Orlando Arcia catching strays out here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, he was the one guy that didn't make it happen. If it wasn't yeah. for him, they could they could probably be in some pretty elite company. Uh, I'm not sure how often that's been done, but I can't think of a team in recent years to do it. And obviously, uh, it's been written about ad nauseum throughout the year just how historically good this team is. You have the star power at the top. You've got power. You've got speed. It seems like really just the fact that everyone in the lineup can go deep at any point. Uh, a bunch of different approaches. So, yeah, I think it's it's pretty good. And then you got like an ace-like pitcher at the front of the rotation with Spencer Strider that, I mean, presumably you can match him up with anyone in baseball and feel reasonably confident that that you're going to have a, a solid matchup i think maybe the the biggest question mark about the braves is again starting pitching health what is what is max freed going to be looking like how is charlie morton i mean you, you want to talk about veterans do you buy into the fact that like big game charlie is is just better in the playoffs for whatever reason or just his amount of uh, performances in that scenario gives you confidence i guess there are a number of pitchers we could point to that that have that sort of reputation now um again yeah not especially so it's good yeah. that he's gone through that experience just through the routine mm-hmm. and all of that but I, I don't know that it outweighs or is a huge factor for mm-hmm. me relative to just his just his talent right now yeah. well i think those are i, I guess are there any team that we haven't touched on that, that you feel like is interesting we haven't given a ton of talk to the phillies or the d-backs um, what are you most interested about in those clubs? I mean, for me, obviously seeing Corbin Carroll in the playoffs is exciting. Uh, I think the Phillies offense is just fun. Um, but yeah, anything on those two teams, I think they're the least, least we've talked about so far, but for the most part. Yeah, it's always fun to see which young players kind of step up and just become big names or, or maybe not even necessarily young, but just rookie player like Randy Arosarena, obviously I'm thinking about. Yeah, just uh, new faces to the league. Yeah, a few years back, bursting out uh, in the playoffs. Uh, so I think Corbin Carroll, you know, if the D-backs progress, could be that kind of guy. Uh, the Orioles have a, a multitude of players who could fit that bill. Obviously, Gunnar Henderson, um, most notably. Um, but even, you know, like Adley Rushman hasn't been around that long. Like, I, I don't know. I don't get the sense of, like, mm. how well-known he is among the general populist just like sport fans it's tough to see it's tough to like wrap my head around that one because adley rushman has been so famous for so long in our specific like baseball circle so yeah that is a good point i I think for the orioles first postseason game i mean yeah i think for all those guys it's a chance to have a real coming out party and and kind of this is the first step of, of their rebuild kind of coming to fruition there are a lot of like franchise caliber players who could have big moments and then obviously you get you get big moments for for more of like the role player types in the playoffs too that are fun even if it's not as maybe like iconic or what you're thinking about beforehand. Yeah, the reliever you've most people have never heard about who's mm-hmm. throwing 99 with like a 70 yeah. slider, or just like the nine hole hitter that that comes up in a clutch situation and delivers and like has his moment. You, it's it's kind of the blessing and the curse of baseball where you're not going to always have the best player in those clutch situations like you would in other sports, but it offers a chance for, for different stories. And I think that's always really fun. And they become the Yankees manager one day. (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, so I, I guess we're going to probably miss most of the first round, right? Given when we're in Jupiter. So, so we'll look forward to the, uh, the championship series. Uh, I mean, we'll see the, the division the, series. We'll see the wild card. When is the wild card starting? When are, when are we traveling down? We're talking about the Tuesday games. Okay. Yeah. We'll see that. All right. We'll yeah, see some of the, the, the early, some, some of the, the early we'll stuff see. we'll, we'll have to miss, but all right. Um, any other big league talk? Do you have any end of season, end of regular season thoughts? Any thoughts on the twelve team? As we were talking about this twelve team playoff structure, I still really don't like the fact that we have twelve teams. I'd rather have ten, but that's kind of nitpicky. Do you have any thoughts on that? Like, I, I don't really want the Marlins in the playoffs. I think part of the fact that the last day wasn't as fun might be because we we have twelve teams. But yeah, but it, it makes the first day so much better when. You have these wild card games. I, I mean, you could you could do ten. It wouldn't wouldn't be the worst, but uh, I like ten. I, I, I like it as, as it is right now. I mean, I think for the most part, though, the right teams are in. In terms of like wins, Seattle kind of got the most unlucky in terms of run differential. We've obviously talked about the Padres getting unlucky. Yeah, no um, matter where you set the bar, somebody's gonna not yeah. make it. I, I certainly would and not I don't want to think expand they, it. And no, have not like, at all years where we having a 79 win team mm. get in that would be <laughs> oh just watch out watch out whenever expansion comes for baseball see if they uh throw it open where we get half the teams making the playoffs it wouldn't be uh it wouldn't shock me if that happened given how mlb likes to operate what about what about thinking further out from this year we've talked about which teams last time who were not going to make the playoffs were best positioned to turn things around quickly and succeed in either mm-hmm. 2024 or, or beyond that um, yeah what about teams that are in the playoffs looking out over the next five-year window which teams do you feel like are in the best position to be perennial mm. playoff teams oh that's a good question yeah that's really interesting i mean are we putting aside teams like I feel like there are four teams in the playoffs here who I already think of just perennial contenders. Are we putting aside like the Astros and the Rays and the Dodgers and the Braves of the world? Like the Dodgers are here every well, year. It could, it could the be Astros, anybody. The I mean, Astros have been here to the championship series like five or six of the last seven years. The Braves just won six straight divisions. The Rays uh, for like with their, their devil magic. I think they're the best devil magic team in baseball at this point. They're always here. Um, Maybe the previous one, you would have said the Cardinals, who were in it four years in a row. That's true. And is there I guess, great yeah, I guess right before now? before we get to your question, are there any of those four teams I just mentioned that you're like pessimistic about their future? Like of the of the Rays, Astros, Dodgers, and Braves, do you think any of those clubs are heading towards like a maybe a downward turn, where you wouldn't necessarily expect them to be contenders? I feel like. The one team that I would think maybe is, and I'm not even confident if if they are, is the Astros, just given the composition of their division. It's some of the other teams that feel like they're on the upswing, like the Rangers and like the Mariners. Yeah, I would say of those four, like it's tough to bet against them given the exactly, yeah. success that they've... <laughs> it's tough to bet against all these teams we're talking the, about here. The dominance that they've had. Mm. But I, I would probably say the Astros, particularly when you talk about they're yeah i mean they've been they were an extremely talented team they had a great farm system they built through Mm -hmm. that 
Um, they supplemented their roster extremely well through other transactions. Um, but is this toward the tail end of that run now? Where, all right, like Jose Altuve's 30, what, 33? 33. Alex Bregman's hitting his 30s. Like, you still have <clears throat> Jordan Alvarez, Kyle Tucker. Those guys are in their prime. Like, mm. Chaz McCormick is, you know, going to be, what, 28, 29. Yiner Diaz should probably play a, a bigger role, hopefully, <laughs> going forward. I mean, 37-year-old Martin Maldonado, Maldonado, though, he's he's thriving back there. Yeah, I mean, and, and they have, you know, they have pitching, Framber Valdez and, and Christian Javier, but, um, you know, is, is there still that reinforcements coming mm-hmm. up through – through the farm system what happened you know some of these guys could um you know there there are there are more pathways i think for them to um to to have something like what happened with the cardinals happen more so i think than certainly the um the dodgers for example yeah or even if you're just comparing these teams like i think the dodgers and the orioles have significantly better farm systems right now than the astros and the braves but even if you're just comparing the current astros even if you're just comparing the current astros core uh of hitters like at the big league level i i think i would have more confidence in it in atlanta's core just because you only have I mean, none of the players of their that I would consider their main core are in their 30s yet. I just think your your group is just a little bit younger overall, so I, I would expect them to still be in their peak years for a little bit longer, if that makes sense. But with both the Dodgers and the Rays, outside of just the age of their core or whatever you think about their core, I just feel like their farm system is better positioned to to keep adding. Uh, although, again, even though the Braves and the Astros aren't, we don't have them ranked super highly in terms of farm system. Like both teams have have shown that they're able to consistently add pieces, even if they're more just like complementary pieces. Yeah, I do not like the Braves farm system very much. No. But the farm as the person is- who's currently writing about it, I can tell you, Ben, that it gets it gets dark fairly quickly. <laughs> <laughs> but the farm system is only one part of the picture of the young talent in the organization, because a lot of yeah. it is on the major league team right now, and a lot of it, I mean, even including like Ronald Acuna for example, is going to be, yeah. is, is signed. A lot of these guys are, are just signed long-term at very... Throughout this team, decade, yeah. Yeah, team-friendly contracts over the next, you know, here's the, four to seven years. Like, yeah, Riley... Here's the Olsen. current age of their starting nine right now. So, Ronald Acuna Jr., 25.8. Ozzy Albies, 26.7. Austin Riley, 26.5. Matt Olson, 29.5. Marcelo Zuna, 32.9. Michael Harris, 22.6. Sean Murphy, 29. Eddie Rosario, 32. Orlando Arcia, 29. So everyone is under 30 except for Azuna and Rosario, who I would, I would consider like least uh, important to the success of the team moving forward. The oldest guy here is still not 30 and Matt Olsen. Like that was one of the big reasons, or not a big reason, but one of the benefits you could say if you were like torn over the Freddie Freeman matt olsen uh debacle like with matt olsen you're at least getting a couple years younger the fact that all these guys are, are going to presumably be in their prime so for the next four years uh is pretty impressive and to your point they're all cost controlled and extended into basically like the 2027 season and beyond yeah pretty much every player you just mentioned is signed through 2026 most of them through 2027 and and then that's not even getting into the 
the pitching side of it too, where they mm-hmm. have Strider and it's so the the farm system obviously is a a significant concern, but the level of talent that they have locked up over the next yeah three to five years and even is... the like I think the you'd have more questions with the pitching staff moving forward because I think they have one more year with Max Fried after this season and then he's a free agent. Uh, I think with some guys who are currently in the rotation, it's not like guarantees that they're going to be like sticking around and middle of the rotation caliber arms. Like a, a Bryce Elder has been useful. I could see him getting pushed out uh, depending on other arms they might want to get. Like AJ Smith Shaver still has some development. Dylan Dodd and Alan Winan seem like perfectly fine complementary pieces, but you could see where there's more questions in the in the pitching side of this core moving forward. And and even then, that that's where the the best talent in the farm system is centered on pitching still. Um, like if you, if you have questions about hitting, there are real questions, but as we just talked about, I, I don't think there's any real reason to get too concerned about the Braves having a good, a good lineup out there every day. Do you think they have pitchers who can come up and help them next year? Yeah, I think uh, Hurston Waldrop would be like candidate number one. I would imagine AJ Smith Schaffer, who's actually still younger than Hurston Waldrop still has a lot of development in front of him. Both those two, are pretty key guys i would think for them in the short term and and impactful guys i I assume they're going to rank one and two in the system after that i think there's a really solid duo of high school arms in jr Ritchie and owen murphy that i wouldn't expect in the near future and both of them should be on a starter's development track and jr Ritchie obviously had tommy john surgery so he'll have to come back from that but I think there are between those four, like the Braves should wind up with at least one impact starter of the group that you would presumably be able to plug into the rotation. Um, and just hitting on one of those four, it's probably inaccurate, uh, accurate for pitching development, but maybe some people could say that's like a pessimistic takeaway. Uh, J.R. Ritchie was really good this year before he got hurt. I think he, his stuff was a lot better than people were expecting. And, and he was always praised for just the pitch ability, but I think they've got, even beyond that, they've got some guys kind of of the Dylan Dodd and Winans tier of player that, that can add some value, even if you're probably not going to be like writing their names into a starting rotation projection three years down the line. Yeah, I, I think the Dodgers obviously are the one that jump out as like, it, it's hard to see them going through a period in the next few years where they're not uh playoff competitive team there's yeah the i mean you got teams like have. the padres competing against them where they don't get into the playoffs i mean it's pretty easy yeah for the front office the the talent the makeup of the major league club mm. the farm system continues to churn out players both from international signings from from draft picks late round picks they're turning around trades they're they're bringing in players um, who are maybe undervalued from other organizations or uh, maybe underdeveloped or, or not being optimally developed the way the Dodgers seem to be doing. So it's hard to see them not being yeah. in this mix over the next three to five years. The team that I think jumps out to me the most though is, is the Orioles where I think they're going to go on this, on an Astros type of run right now because they're, I mean, they're the best team in in the American League mm. this year, um, and it's oh yeah, they also have the number one prospect in baseball again. They also have the number one farm system <laughs> in baseball again. Yeah. They're they're doing it with a lot of young talent that's going to be under team control, like young 
mm. young stars, Rushman and, and Gunnar Henderson, Jackson Holiday should be up at some point next year. They have a whole bunch of guys, whether it's like, you know, Kerstad, Jordan Westberg, uh, Colton Kowser, Connor Norby, um, all these guys where they're not all going to play a role in the Orioles uh, future or at least not be on the Orioles major league lineup. But some of these guys will get traded, will be used to, uh, you know, whether it's upgrade the, the pitching staff or other holes in the lineup, not they have all that many holes at the moment, but yeah. Um, and, and they had their payroll is pretty low too. So if they want well, to spend, <laughs> that's they, the big question, yeah. right? I, I might push back a little on the Orioles. I'm with you that I think their core is great. I think their talent coming up is great, but I might be a little more pessimistic of them like repeating what the Astros have done just because I think the competition in their division is tougher than what the Astros had to deal with uh, during their period of success from 2016 to now. Uh, they've got the Rays. They've got big spending teams and the Yankees and the Red Sox who presumably are going to try to compete each year. I mean, the Blue Jays have formed a pretty nice core. I just think it's a tough division. And I also, I also think the Orioles overperformed this year based on their runs. I have some more questions about the pitching staff. Like Cal Bradish and Grayson Rodriguez have been really good. But outside of those two, I have significantly more questions. Like who are the next guys coming up at the farm system? And just, just no confidence that ownership will spend to supplement what is a really, really good core. I might be a little less optimistic about it, um, but that's not to say I don't think they're going to be good. I just I don't know that I would already consider Orioles as like perennial championship series like caliber team. Is that what you think they can be? I think they can be. I mean, they haven't proven that they can be, but I'm yeah. just looking at the outlook for the next five years, and I think mm. they have the ability the talent in the organization, mm. um, the way the front office runs things, and then the room, if they want to go out and spend on free agents, not necessarily even, you know, they could sign, they could go out and sign Yamamoto, right? And If they do their... something like that, I'll be significantly more excited about them moving forward, yeah. But yeah, I, I do think do everything down from, from the ownership suite, basically, it's, I think is really impressive in the org. Yeah, and, and even if they don't, they have, they have the the prospects in their organization or young big leaguers too, depending on, you know, when certain players might, might graduate that are going to be pretty highly valued by yeah. other clubs that have pitching mm -hmm. that's looking to trade it, that they can match other teams offers and they still don't have to even trade away their premium guy in Jackson holiday or, or even necessarily somebody like a Samuel Basayo. But yeah. if they want to like, yeah, Samuel Basayo could Who... be a, a, an anchor cornerstone piece to a trade for hmm. you know for a big pitcher. If you're running the Orioles, which one of these young prospects or young established big leaguers would you be most willing to move to try and uh, whether that's just add talent elsewhere, or add to more pitching? Like, I guess are there players that that you would really be opposed to trading no matter what, and and are there some that you think just given their talent level and prospect value that, that you'd be like, okay, these are the guys we need to cash in to make a more well-rounded club. Which of those players would you be? Cause I mean, for me, I would imagine like the trio of Adley Rushman, Gunnar Henderson, Jackson holiday, unless it was some ridiculous trade, like those guys aren't going anywhere. 
But I would think like Jordan Westberg, Sam Obasayo, who you mentioned, who, who might have more value to another team, just given the presence of Adley Rutschman, those would be like two prime candidates. Um, maybe how you think of like Colton Kowser, Heston Kirstad, like there are any number of players go down the list with the Orioles that presumably would have a lot of value to, to other clubs. Yeah, none of those players to me other than <laughs> well, I mean just another prospects other than Jackson Holiday to me would be untouchable yeah. in a trade if if the right pitcher or just the right player came along on the right contract where you're mm-hmm. getting um, you know, ideally 3 years of team control. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't even have to be 3, but most, multiple years at least of team control for for the right player, especially the right pitcher in return like yeah, I mean I, I love Samuel Basayo, but like, I mean, where's where's he going to play? It's a good problem to have, obviously, but like, mm-hmm. I, th- I think he is good enough to play first base every day, um, or has the upside to be a regular at yeah. first base. But if you could get a, you know, a number two starter for multiple years of team control right now while you're in a competitive window, like, yeah. You can do you, you can have to make that trade? Do you have an example of like a pitcher that maybe you would trade right now? Like if you're the Orioles, like is there like what what sort of quality of pitcher is like the minimum for you to move a guy like that? Um, yeah, you'd have to look at what is have to take a deeper look at what is available mm. on uh, uh, both 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 there and then through free agency too, mm-hmm. just to weigh the uh, the different options. Yeah. I don't actually know off the top of my head how good the free agent class looks this year. It's not something that I've thought about. I'm going to pull it up and uh, see if there are any big names. Um, well, Shohei Otani, but I don't know if that <laughs> yeah. counts as a... Uh, I would be surprised if, if Otani wound up in Baltimore, but I guess anything's possible. Uh, 2024 free agents. Let's see here. Some of the top ones... Uh, I can't find a good list real quick. We don't have to. What Giolito and Gray and are the oh is Gray okay? I mean, he's gonna get Cy Young votes this year, so that'd look pretty good in the Orioles rotation right about now. All right, well, let's move on to some of the other teams, Ben. You, you mentioned initially, like which teams in the playoffs are you excited about moving forward? Best positioned? Any of the? I'd say these four that we talked about are. It seems like they're the, the kind of cream of the crop in baseball at this point in time. Uh, obviously, a lot of what we do is is pointed towards looking ahead. Um, of the Blue Jays, Twins, Rangers, Rays, D-backs, Brewers, Marlins, and Phillies, which one of those teams, or maybe if you have a couple of them, are you are you most excited about uh, their like five-year competitive window? It's hard to – yeah, I would say the – because the I think the Orioles and the Dodgers really stick out to me. Yeah, the the Braves would be the other one we talked about, and then it's just hard to bet against the Rays. Not that you want to just go on what they've done historically, but I until mean, they just, show, until they have like a until they fall off the track, I guess I'm, I'm going to keep going with them. Yeah, it's tough with the Wander Franco situation. That's such a big factor yeah. right now for them. Um, I don't think their farm system is quite at the level that it has been in recent years, but like, you know, here comes junior Caminero. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, and, it's, and they seem to, they seem to always be able to, especially through the pro side, through pro mm-hmm. scouting, through trades, be able to restock, reload, 
find these players yeah. at the margins who uh, might be undervalued or under optimized mm-hmm. as far as their um, their role or mm-hmm. the way they've been developed. Like Harold Harold Ramirez has been a, a pretty useful player for them mm-hmm. this year. Um, was never a guy, you know, <laughs> earlier in his career who who ever was able to break through, even though he was a you know pretty talented amateur signing and a, a certainly a prospect coming up. But then he gets to the Rays and they figure out how to get him to like tap into the most of of his ability. So um, I I just have confidence in their ability to continue being able to to do that like you said until they prove that <laughs> it, yeah. it stops i mean this is a team that somehow after losing two basically number one caliber pitchers in jeffrey springs and shane mcclanahan and their franchise hitter mid-season they still managed to have i think the third best run differential in baseball that's just it, it shouldn't be for them it seems easy like for any other team that would completely derail them and they're sitting here with 99 wins a plus 195 run differential and looking like one of the most well-rounded and scary teams still like their ability to just fill holes create depth while maintaining one of the lower payrolls in the league is just so impressive annually i think i think to your initial point it's just hard to bet against them until until they just show multiple years in a row where they can't do it anymore. And I don't know why you'd expect that to happen. Yeah. Is there a, another team that jumps out for you that we haven't mentioned that would? Um, I want to like the Brewers. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess a lot of it will depend on some of the arms they have in their system and how they pan out because it, it I'm pulling up their their roster right now. I don't know how long some of their starters um, are still on the books, like how how much control they have. But I like the Brewers system quite a bit. Uh, I think they've got both impact and depth, upper level, minor league depth. I mean, there's still some young players on the team this year who who I expect to be pretty good uh, contributing pieces. Uh, so just based on what they've been able to do with pitchers, uh, I think they've had a few savvy trades. Like getting getting in that William Contreras trade seemed to really work out for them well. Um, obviously, they've got one of the best prospects in baseball in Jackson Churio. So I think they would be another team that, that I'm excited about. Uh, I just think they they do everything pretty well. If they can get a if they can get some more thump in their lineup and continue to be the sort of pitching development team and acquisition team they've been. Uh, I would be encouraged, but let me see what their their starting rotation looks like in the next few years. Who's coming off the books? Well, that was going to be the other team that I had in mind. That not mm. to the level of the other clubs that we've talked about, but yeah, you've seen them be able to consistently compete while uh, and build up the farm system while picking late in the draft. And now a lot of their top prospects, whether it's uh, I guess Sal Freelick has just graduated. Uh, but like Garrett Mitchell is just on the cusp of officially you probably desperately want him to be graduated, right? Graduating. <laughs> so, so, you know, but I mean, look, like Ben does the Brewers system for us. If you didn't know, <laughs> well, it's like either way, like, like Freelick Mitchell, uh, those guys will play bigger roles for them next year. 
Tyler Black can come up. Jefferson Caro, catcher, is not too far away, although not that they are necessarily going to need him uh, next year. Uh, they can take a little bit more time with him. Obviously, Jackson Churio, too, is in double A this year. It'll, I imagine he'll start in in triple A, you know, see what they have in in Joey Weimer going forward. But a lot of these guys are ready or will be ready to contribute in in bigger roles in 2024. Robert Gasser is one of the, you know, talked about their pitching development, I think, in a lot of other organizations. He, he might have already been up in the big leagues at this point. So I, I think he plays a bigger role for them next year. Abner Uribe, uh, you know, still some things to iron out there, obviously, mm. but another young pitcher for them. Carlos Rodriguez kind of had like a – just continues to perform for them. The the pitcher, uh, they have two Carlos Rodriguez's, but, um, you know, the Carlos Rodriguez, the, the pitcher, was one of the better pitchers just in terms of performance in the minor leagues um, anywhere this year. So I'm not saying he's a front of the rotation starter. I don't think it's that type of stuff, but um, I think he's somebody else who, who can make a, a contribution in Milwaukee next year and and probably a bigger role going forward so they they have it's a good major league team right now it's a good farm system with a lot of players who should be able to uh, make an impact pretty within the next year uh for them yeah and and brandon woodruff and corbin burns are both under team control through the 2024 season and then they become free agents uh they actually have a decent amount of free agents uh coming off the books and for the 2025 season, uh, Willie Domus, Eric Lauder, Rowdy Telez, uh, a few names. D- do you have any confidence that they have some some options, some internal options to reinforce the starting rotation in the next few years? Or do you think that they're a team that, that you would expect would be active on the free agent market to tackle that if, if they're not able to uh, extend a Woodruff or a Burns? Uh, yeah, I mean, I imagine trades will be a factor there. Uh, so that's part of it. Um, Gasser is there. I, I do like him. Maybe not as a not as a front of the rotation starter, but somebody who can help solidify the you know mid to back of the rotation. Jacob Mizierowski obviously is the big wild card, where the stuff is as good as anybody's in the minor leagues, and obviously the control is uh, not. But <laughs> it's, I mean, a, a really really talented prospect in terms of the the raw stuff, and and he did take steps forward this year with his control but even then uh, i think he was first or second or or pretty high up in the minor leagues in terms of uh hit by pitch with not that many (laughs) innings too so there's certainly some things to work out but um it's at least going in the right right direction there and if somebody's gonna help him uh, it's it's in a he's in a good organization to be able to hopefully iron those issues out yeah, I agreed. I mean, they got some decent innings from from Julio Tehran this year, which is kind of shocking to imagine. Uh, so they they seem to do a pretty good job with pitchers in general. So hopefully they can. I, I think Mizirowski is incredibly exciting if he's able to just put the ball over the plate a little bit more frequently. I mean, his his stuff is is pretty electric. Um, I don't. I think I'm good on other teams. Are there any other teams that you want to mention, Ben? Yeah, those are the. I think those are the ones to me that jump out as mm. the best, the team's best position in the playoffs to to compete over the next uh, to be perennial playoff teams. Yeah. All right. Um, 
There were a few players, a few big leaguers who we maybe have seen the last of that I wanted to get your your thoughts on. Uh, we could also talk some some amateur baseball. So where do you want to head next? Uh, which big leaguers did you have? So there were I, I saw Pete's by Will Leach on MLB where he basically looked at Miguel Cabrera, Adam Wainwright, Joey Votto, and Zach Greinke, and it was basically just like short retrospectives on each. And for me, it was really tough thinking about a, a Major League Baseball with no Miguel Cabrera because I think Miguel Cabrera is probably the most... I'm not sure like the best way to describe this, but when we were growing up, we were always going to Mudcats games in the minors. They were like 45 minutes from the house. It was always very easy to get tickets for those games at the time. Uh, and so I remember just for birthdays and just random random uh events we would go to mudcats games and just watching miguel cabrera we were always very excited to see him uh, when he was there i think it was just like one year where he we actually got to see him there but he always stood out as like the most fun player for us to watch my younger brother's middle name is miguel so that was like also a a very easy tie-in he was just a fun latin player i think we we watched him play left field at the time uh because the marlins were about to bring him up but he was just such a fun player for our whole family to kind of get behind. And then I don't think we really knew too much about the prospect uh, side of the game at that point. We were basically just kids who liked playing baseball and like watching baseball with the family. So just seeing him, being able to watch his career, I, I think he's probably the, the first player that I really experienced just seeing the entire length of a pro career from the minors throughout the majors. And, and just seeing the, the player that he became was really just always cool to see and so it's i feel old <laughs> thinking about miguel cabrera not being in the league but um just seeing him and then zach Granke was always one of my favorite pitching and i don't i don't know if prospect is a good word but when he came into the league like i was always really excited to watch him pitch just given how he went about it uh the unique and quirky personality he had like i guess he could still come back i don't i don't think he said he is done but what are your thoughts on some of these guys? Like, do you think, do you think these are some Hall of Famers here? It seems like for three of them, I'd, I'd say it's pretty easy. Just what are your thoughts on them? Because they are four legends of the game, and maybe we're not going to see them anymore. Yeah, I mean, Miguel Cabrera is the textbook hitter you would use to mm. draw up if you wanted to just draw up like the perfect hitter. I mean, six foot four, but with kind of sh- shortish arms and a, a really compact swing. A very complete hitter, controlled the strike zone, had you know huge power, multiple forty-plus home run season, consistent thirty-plus home run hitter, some of the best power in the game, one of the best pure hitters in the great in the game. Phenomenal approach was a great prospect. Obviously, coming up, it's funny to like go back and see some of the videos of him from when he first came up to the big leagues, like probably when you were watching him in in the minor leagues in Carolina just to see his uh, body obviously is a lot different than it was at the end of his career. Um, But, um, but yeah, just, just such a complete hitter and a textbook uh, textbook swing approach uh, the way he uses the whole field, uh, just a great way to draw it up as a hitter. And if you're trying to teach young players, a a swing or a hitter to emulate, he would be uh, pretty high up the list of players you would point toward. Yeah, I don't think 
in terms of like the players that I've been watching my whole life, it, it's basically like Miguel Cabrera and Albert Pujols uh, would be like the two best ones that I think I've seen. If we're not talking about guys like like Trout, who still have a number of years left, um, so it's going to be a bummer. He led the league in hitting four years, led the league in on base four years. Obviously, won the triple crown in 2012, two-time MVP winner. Uh, just a tremendous career and. It'll be it'll be sad when he's not in the game anymore, and it, he's always fun to watch just for his on-field performance. And I also remember too when I was interning with MLB at the All Star game was in San Diego, and I was in San Diego, and I had to go do some little like side story on Miguel Cabrera and going up to him and and talking to him. Uh, I was like very nervous at the time because I was like just new to it all in general, and because Miguel Cabrera was this like star of our household that I was like talking to and seeing in person. And I remember him just being super, super kind and patient with me. Like he was kind of done with most of his stuff. And I was asking him, I don't even remember what I was asking him at this point. Um, but I just remember it was a really cool interaction that I was able to have with him. So I think of these group, like he's certainly the, uh, the player that at least me and my family have like appreciated the most, but with Zach Greinke, I think we got like one of the, one of the better starting pitchers of his generation um, and doing it in a way that's just fun to watch always. Uh, I don't know that Adam Wainwright will be a Hall of Famer, but I do think that Joey Votto and Granke have really good cases, even if you don't maybe think they're the sort of locks that, that I would imagine Miguel Cabrera is. Yeah, you don't think Granke and... Oh, I, I think Granke and Votto both are, but I yeah, can see some people... I could see some people maybe picking this with like Joey Votto um, just because I don't, for whatever reason, people want to see a first baseman do things differently. Uh, I I can't imagine a case against Zach Greinke, but I think Miguel Cabrera is like a no doubt locked in first ballot hall of famer. Whereas, I mean, for me, Joey Votto and Greinke would be, but I don't know if like the industry at large would have them there. I think Greinke, yes, maybe not Votto, but I could be underplaying their, their careers here. Yeah, I, I guess I don't know how the the entire electorate would vote in general, but I, I for me, I you're the one in the club, Ben. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I think I'm still a few years away from getting a uh, vote, but Votto hey, is actually by the time these guys are eligible, you might have your vote. So this is yeah, your, yeah, your by first that time, test I, case, I should have. But yeah, yes. Votto should be an MVP award. I think he he led the league in on base percentage seven times. Yep, um, including four straight years from 2010 to 2013. Yeah, he's baseball reference has him career war 64. So mm. it's just looking at it quickly, a ton of doubles, you know, usually 25 to 30 home runs, some years mm. more than that. And then, like, there was he got he kept it up too. Like, it wasn't just mm-hmm. a guy who was really good in his 20s and then fell off the map like he was good into his mid-30s he had that year where there are a couple years where it kind of dipped for him and then he uh, almost like reinvented himself a Mm -hmm. little bit managed to be good a couple years ago into his age 37 season so it's a a long really really strong career for him one of the most disciplined hitters i've ever seen yeah and yeah, to me, Hall of Famer. I agree with you. I, I wonder how some people will look at the career 294 average. I wonder if people will want to see more home runs out of a first baseman than 356. But I'm I'm in complete agreement with you. Like he 
he was such an on-base machine and such an advanced hitter. And he even remade himself a few times later in his career uh, to really hit for some more power when he didn't really have to do that. Um, so I, I'm fully on board. Um, Greinke, uh, again, for me, is a, is a clear automatic Hall of Famer. I think his, his generation of pitchers are really going to maybe reshape how we think of modern pitchers in the Hall. But um, like the most Greg Maddox-esque sort of pitcher we've had since Maddox, maybe, just given how he went about things. I mean, 20 years, his career ERA, 3.49, won a Cy Young Award in 2009 with the Royals when he led the league in ERA. Uh, he led the league in ERA twice. He had, I mean, he was a workhorse, 3,300 total innings across 20 years. Um, and he had an ERA plus over 100, I think, every season of his career outside of 2005. His second year with the Royals, when he led the league in losses, 5-17. and 17. If you care about pitcher win losses, I don't. And then this year, uh, 87. Outside of that, he's been an above-average pitcher by ERA. Just, I think, on, in terms of peak performance and longevity, he hits all the boxes for me. Uh, and I think it's cool that if this is the end of his career, he, he went out with Kansas City, who he came in with. So uh, a definite shoe-in for me. Yeah, I don't know what the case would be against him for not going... Not in the sure. Hall of Fame, I, I think he, especially for a modern pitcher to throw mm-hmm. the volume of innings that he threw in so deep into his career, I mean, consistently into his mid-30s, throwing 200 innings a year and being one of the best pitchers in baseball, uh, Cy yeah. Young Award, uh, I don't know what the knock against him would be as far yeah, as yeah, I think any any case against Granky is probably going to be like a historical case against starting pitchers in general, more so than anything he specifically did, and and hopefully will be beyond that by the time he's on the ballot. And then Adam Wainwright is kind of the last player of this category. Um, I don't think Adam Wainwright is a Hall of Famer, but I think he's like a Hall of Very Good, uh, and he obviously had a, a very lengthy career and is maybe worth worth mentioning as well. Um, but maybe you do think Adam Wainwright is a Hall of Famer. Yeah, it's it's tough. I, I think we're going to have to downward adjust our <clears throat> expectations for a modern era or this era of pitchers getting into mm-hmm. the Hall of Fame, which I think will, if, if we do that, will help his case. But um, he, he might end up falling... A little bit short. That's obviously something I have to give a lot more thought and yeah. consideration to. But remember too, he you know like he broke into the league as a reliever. Um, like he wasn't. He he was good, but like he didn't become like the number one starter, Adam Wainwright, who we think of in his prime, really until he was twenty seven years old. I mean, he mm. he accumulated value before that but that's really when it took off for him so um so it it, you know in a lot of those you know early to mid-20s years that would be a bigger factor for other pitchers in their hall of fame candidacy like a zach Greinke, for example Um, Mm -hmm. you know he doesn't quite have that but uh, obviously an incredible career for him i think he will get certainly some some hall of fame support yeah, maybe Hall of Fame for for curveball specifically. His his curveball was always 
incredibly lethal and fun to watch. Uh, but yeah, for me, I think he would fall short. But if there's a hall of hall of very good, he would he would definitely be in that for me. I think just just too many injuries. And, and whereas with Granke, I think of him as like one of the best pitchers of the last twenty years. I I don't really ever think of Adam Wainwright in that in that tier of player um, for whatever reason. So. Maybe Cardinals fans will disagree with that, but either way, four legends, regardless of, of their Hall of Fame status, um, and just cool to, to kind of look back at their careers and, uh, and appreciate them a bit if they're not going to play anymore. Are any of these guys, do you think any of these players will be back next year? Uh, I think I haven't. I think, I think Miguel's Because Joey Votto out. got ejected. <laughs> I think he's out. But Joey Votto got ejected from his last game. Maybe that, <laughs> I'm not sure if that's fitting or not, that, that a guy like him got, got ejected for arguing balls and strikes in his final game. That, that might be a good way for him to go out, actually. That's kind of cool. I could see him <laughs> for a guy who that way or maybe coming back yeah. for one day <laughs> he was he did like admit after the game that that he was right to have been ejected he agreed with the umpire he was like kind of mad at himself for arguing balls and strikes but i do think it's it's kind of hilarious that a, a player who is so known for his elite batting eye in potentially his final game ever gets ejected for arguing a pitch that he was he was right to argue or he was right about what the, the strike ball call uh, even if he he thinks he himself is wrong to to actually argue that on the field, so that would be kind of funny. Um, but yeah, let's talk some let's talk some high school players, Ben. Yeah, no you had uh, old guys. Yeah, let's look to the future instead of looking to the past. Uh, who are the Hall of Famers in the twenty twenty five class, Ben? <laughs> <laughs> Ethan Holiday. So yeah, Ben new, has a yeah. Ben has an updated. Uh, 2025 high school list um, for the 2025 class, Ethan Holidays. Um, if you're listening to this podcast, maybe obviously the number one player. If, if you're not a frequent listener and this is your first one, uh, Jackson Holiday has a younger brother and he is he's pretty exciting. But I'll let you tell us about the 2025 class. Give me some hope that, that it's more exciting than 2024. Yeah, I think to me the 2023 class was a really elite high school class. Um I think it was well above average, probably put, I don't know what grade you would give it. I'd, I'd give it a 70 on the 2080 scale. Would you go that uh, high? I would it? go, I might go 70, but I think our gut would be 60. Um, hmm. I'll have to give that one some more thought. I would definitely go 60. I'm not sure if I would go fully 70, but you have always talked really high. And I think the depth of the class might be able to push it to a 70. Have you covered another class that you would give a 70 to in the last probably not years? no okay no. so I, I think yeah my no. hesitancy here is more Stingier. hesitancy no it's just a hesitancy hesitancy to throw out a 70 but i definitely think the 2023 class overall is the best that i've covered a part of that is, is how good the college class was I, i'll have to like separate them out in my mind and maybe it'll be a fun exercise to go through and rank all of the classes it's so tough now with hindsight though it's nice to get your grade in before you get to see their careers like at the time what was the grade of the class so I, that's what I, I, I really like the 2023 high school class. I think the 2024 class is certainly down. Like there's nobody, we can talk more about 2024, but there's nobody where I'm like, oh yeah, I would absolutely take this guy with a top 10 overall pick. Now the college side is also down. So <laughs> that will help the high school players. I think the 2025 class is, is better than 2024. I think it's a good class. It's not, to the level that 2023 was at this time in in their development path. So I like I look at the top of the list 
and I love Ethan Holiday, uh, you know, other guys like Coy James and Brady Ebel, uh, a couple of shortstops at the top of the list as well. Yeah. Um, Do you know what I love about this class, Ben? Just looking at your list, the quantity of shortstops in the top group, because I really think if you were, if you were trying to just take a, like a macro view of a class and you wanted to gauge the talent, I do think there would be something to how many high school shortstops are at the top of the list. Um, because if any time you have a large number of those players at the very top, I think it's it's shaping up for, for a good class. Uh, some of it, I mean, but I think a lot of those guys may end up moving off hmm. the position. And some of it also mm-hmm. may just be a factor of like who's making <laughs> The list where I'll probably push the shortstops or the guys who are at shortstops now, assuming I believe in, you know, there's yeah. there's a lot of belief in their back. I'll say certainly that, more I'll so amend, than the pitchers. I'll amend my comment. I'll, I'll say if you have a lot of legit shortstop prospects in a high school class, I think that's a good indicator of its quality. Like if you're lacking that position group, I feel like those are the years where people are like, uh, eh, like we're maybe not as excited. Is as a general a statement. So for 2024, that's one of the concerns for for this year maybe um, the class overall certainly on a college yeah. side it doesn't seem like there's a lot of premium i think so yeah i think that would be that's like one of the reasons why it's a concern but even last year for 2023 like the guys at the very top of the list were not high we're not uh shortstops well we had a good debt like a good group of, of shortstops a little further down so I, I don't even necessarily think you have to have them i just like when there are because you have you have many more paths to success if you're already starting off as like a legit shortstop. Like I remember doing a piece on this with like why teams, why scouting directors like high school shortstops so much. And it's just because if you have guys at the top of a list who are playing shortstop, that means you feel very good about their hitting ability and you feel very good about their defensive ability. So if you're, if you're starting at the top with high confidence in offensive value and high confidence in defensive value, you just have many more, potential outcomes to still get to a good value of a player, like a good overall profile. If, if you're starting out um, with like a high school first baseman, like a Tristan Cassis, there's a reason why Tristan Cassis was ranked at the back half of the first round. And he basically has to mash to be valuable. If he doesn't hit, he's not valuable. So I just, I just like the flexibility in outcomes that, that it gets, it gives you when you start with that profile. Yeah, so I, I think there's nobody in this class who is at the same level that Walker Jenkins and Max Clark were at this time going into um, going into their junior year of high school. So I, there's not one guy like that um, this you, year. You don't you don't think Ethan Holiday is that tier yet? What what would be the separator for Ethan Holiday compared to those two? Because I would have assumed that you would put Ethan Holiday in that camp. But you you don't. So I think why not? the difference would be an Ethan Holiday. You know, feel comfortable projecting him as a first round pick and probably a pretty high first round pick as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Whereas uh, with Clark and Jenkins, both better, just better pure athletes. Certainly, yep. Max Clark uh, and and Jenkins as well. I mean, Jenkins maybe mm-hmm. not as high a probability to play a premium position that Max Clark is or, or was at the time too um, not yeah. as much raw foot speed although he does run really well for his size and he has a really good athlete uh, walker jenkins is too um, especially for somebody who's like six three you know now 200 something 
pounds. He's he just, just has such an elite an frame. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, that makes sense. And, and I and I think both of those guys had better pure uh, pure bats of ball skills mm, okay. as well. I think like I think Ethan Holiday, the way he tracks and recognizes pitches is as good as anybody in the country. Um, you know, you could put again like probably brady ebel who he just mentioned a shortstop from california uh certainly belongs in that group too uh dean moss uh outfielder who is is from california goes to school at img academy in florida uh, i'd probably put him in that group just in terms of uh pitch recognition as well being being among the best in the class so um but i think it's just as far as like the pure uh, bat to ball skills. There's uh, an edge that Jenkins and uh, Clark had at the time, okay, as well. Nice, because uh, I do think I think pretty confidently that if Ethan Holiday reclassified, he'd probably be the top high school player in the 2024 class. But that's good. That's a good way to contextualize like where he would fit if we're going back and looking at a couple different draft classes. Do you think there's anyone in the 24 class that you would you would take over Ethan Holiday if he did reclass? Like, would you yeah, take a, I mean it's 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 tough okay. because there's there's players who I like for 2020-24, and then they all do something where it's like uh, like you wish there was a little bit more there. You wish this red flag wasn't there for them. Like I mean, I, I probably would take I probably would take Ethan Holiday. Um, yeah. Because I think, like you'd anybody. mentioned earlier, like you had mentioned earlier, with this with this high school class in twenty twenty four, there's there's maybe not a player that you could say confidently you feel good about them being a top ten pick. But I, I do think that Ethan Holiday, especially if he's in this twenty twenty four class, I would feel as confident as you can this far out that he would be in that top ten range. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, okay. I mean, it's a it's a beautiful swing. He mm. has big power already and he's not just trying to yank everything he'll he'll drive it really well to left center field it's a it's very easy the way he's able to produce it and then it's a different body type than jackson ethan's six foot four already uh but he's not filled out kind of the same way jackson looked like a looked like a baby develop just physically um coming out of high school ethan still the same way where it's in a good way where okay he's already hitting the ball this hard and then he's six foot four so much more room to add strength and turn into a potential 30 plus home run guy where you know i think physically he'll end up looking more like his like his dad obviously matt yeah. holiday uh, than i his, think that than his brother you wrote that you wrote that in your report I, i've heard that already from a number of scouts uh, i imagine over the next two years people are going to be hit with that constantly jackson definitely looks more like his mom ethan looks more like his dad ethan is more physical <laughs> when when ethan was an underclassman and scouts were going to see jackson oftentimes they would think that the bigger holiday brother was jackson when in fact it was ethan so it is it'll be interesting to compare and contrast their games as ethan continues to progress um i am curious to see where he'll wind up defensively you mentioned him maybe lacking the sort of foot speed and in athleticism that you had in guys like Max Clark and, and Walker Jenkins and, and Jackson Holiday, uh, I've only seen him once live in person. He didn't really look like a middle infielder to me, but I remember watching him during the game as well. And one of the scouts that I was sitting beside, he kind of laughed after he 
hit an absolute missile to the opposite field down the line. He was like, his position is hitter. <laughs> so I think he is good enough of a hitter to where it probably won't matter, but I imagine he'll he'll get big enough to where he's a corner corner profile in some capacity. What are your thoughts on yeah, that? Yeah, I, I think you keep him at shortstop now. Um, mm-hmm. No reason to move him off yet. Long term, if I had to make a bet, could see him at third base. Uh, yeah. Uh, like, I don't think there's anything wrong with, like, his internal clock or arm strength or, or anything like that. It's just some of it's just, like, how big is he going to get? Um, so third base. But, again, if he goes to a corner outfield position, too, like, I think the offensive upside is good enough where, yeah, he could be a potential middle of the lineup hitter with 30 home run power and hmm. some of the best pitch recognition and pitch processing in the class like you can see he gets called out on strikes sometimes where he's like like he knows the pitch is not in the strike zone but it's <laughs> you know it's it's high school or amateur baseball at the high school level where the umpires are just going to call a bigger strike zone because otherwise the pitchers are just not able to throw enough strikes so yeah that ball was two inches outside he's not going to swing at that that's the right decision they might still call it a strike so Mm. um, it'll almost get better for him I think as he uh, moves up as far as those pitches being called in his favor yeah any other players you want to talk about this far out I I feel like we're going to be talking about Ethan Holiday quite a bit but who are some other names that you think people should should be aware of or know on this list um as far as the yeah as far as the hitters i think it's you know there's a good group at the top uh i know you like your shortstops um i think Jason cunningham uh shortstop from texas is one of the more interesting players in the class uh, not that big of a guy he's five foot nine um but man he's he's probably the best pure hitter in the class i mean almost never swings and misses um there's is this there's like nobody a kevin mcgonagall called youngish type um maybe a little bit uh, like i think cole young is bigger maybe maybe some mcgonagall ishness mm-hmm. in there yeah yeah i could see okay. that um I, I think mcgonagall will maybe ha- ends up having more power but yeah yeah i could see that um okay that case another one where you know i think a lot of scouts are looking at him maybe as a future second baseman more than a shortstop but yeah it's a really short swing it's quick uh great plate coverage if if i'm trying to draw up a game plan of how to get him out i I don't know how to do it because it seems like no matter where the pitch is in the strike zone he has the adjustability to get to it uh in out up down fastball off speed uh just very very little swing and miss to his game so he's always been uh an elite performer doesn't chase much Mm. outside the strike zone either so um he's somebody where i i think you look at uh, like you look at the heights and weights which you know some of these guys are exaggerating their their heights and weights too but uh, (laughs) it his probably sticks out relative to a lot of these other guys that are six foot uh, or allegedly six foot plus in uh, at the top of the list. But uh, just as far as a, a pure hitter, I, I think he's the best in the class. Yeah, that's a Ben Badler type for sure. Small guy, yeah. short guy, great hitter. 
Yeah, yeah I think there's a lot of good talent in Texas coming up over the next couple of years. Him, I mean, Lucas Franco, another shortstop in Texas where um, he's I know a lot of scouts really excited about him. I've been really excited about him for the last couple of years now. Um, mm. Maybe not like the same level of like elite, elite uh, performance as, you know, Cunningham or, or maybe a couple of these other shortstops that are pretty high up on this list, but um, grew another inch, it seems like, this year to six foot three, really easy left-handed swing. Uh, another guy with a very advanced approach, very little swing and miss, uh, doesn't chase too much outside the strike zone, very uh, good swing path, and there's a ton of uh, strength projections still there, um, starting to grow into a little bit more power. Some of his doubles starting to turn into home runs but um i think you know he's probably like 6'3 170 175 ish pounds maybe at mm. most um on the younger end for the class so just a ton of space to fill out i, I think as he gets stronger you're going to see uh even more impact and more damage from him but uh, a lot of things to like especially on the uh and, and pretty fluid defender mm. too again to see how the see how he develops physically as far as, you know, is it shortstop or, or third base long-term, but uh, definitely a lot of good offensive components to like and projection arrows pointing the right way for him. Mm. You know, another guy I'm intrigued with on this list that you have. And, and one of the guys that, that I've actually been able to see is Xavier Nyans um, mm -hmm. out of Washington. You have him listed as a third baseman. And I'm curious what you think about him as a pitcher. I got to see him hit and pitch at the area code games. He, he played on the upper class um, Royals team that, that's kind of out of the Northwest. I thought he was the best player on that team, the most exciting player on that team. And I was really bummed uh, when I learned that he was not in the 2024 class uh, because like physically he, he fits right in. Uh, he's really advanced. Uh, he showed power from the left side offensively. He showed really good stuff on the mound. I was like, he seems like a pretty legit two-way player. Uh, which side do you prefer him on, and what are your thoughts on on Nyans as as one of the few players in this class that I I feel reasonably good about the amount of time I've seen him, or at least he's impressed yeah. me when I have seen him. Yeah, third base, some outfield, uh, right-handed pitcher too from uh, Washington. He's, I mean, up to ninety three on the mound. Did miss a lot of bats this summer. I, I still I still would take him as a hitter first. Um, Go, I would go with that option. He has huge power. I, I was actually watching him at the USA Baseball, their 16U, 17U national team development program. He, he was in the same BP group as Lucas Franco. And I mean, I really like Franco. And when we have Franco a little bit ahead of Nines right now, but you know, Nines is six foot four, 200, 205 pounds or so right now. Um, he's got some of the biggest power in the class huge power from the left side uh, you know there is some swing and miss that comes with it but it's not like a crazy swing and miss rate either and he's he's a patient hitter too so there's patience uh, and power which is a a pretty good combination to uh to bet on uh defensively we'll see uh i mean certainly plenty of arm strength for third base maybe just a, a matter of how big he ends up getting whether it's third base or maybe ends up fitting better in the outfield but um definitely a lot of good attributes to like between the the massive power 
uh, and then a pretty, I think, discerning um, feel for the strike zone as well, where, yeah, like, all right, there's going to be some swing and miss in there, but it's going to come with huge power and you're going to draw a lot of walks too, I think. Yeah, a little Bryce Eldridge-esque profile, who you seemingly like more on the mound still, Ben. Josh said he got a nice little piece in the Arizona Fall League today. Did you see that? Bryce Eldridge? Yeah, Bryce Eldridge. Nice. I'm just continuing to hype up he, him. Was he in, is he in the Fall League or is he at Instructs? <clears throat> oh, Instructs. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Where Wherever Josh is right now. Is he at Instructs? Fall League starts. Yeah, he's probably he's doing in, a... Is he, is he going he's to in jo- He's in Josh Heaven right now, basically. He's, probably <laughs> doing he's, AFL, he's watching Bryce Eldridge somewhere in this world. Instructional <laughs> League, backfields. He, 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 he's getting a good, uh, <laughs> good mix right now. Um, yeah, so you guys, I would definitely check out Ben's list. Ben, if there are any other players you want to talk about on the pod, feel free to do so. But if you want to see the whole list with all of Ben's reports and uh, being more knowledgeable of, of this group of players than really anyone in the industry, then there's a great place to start. Um, a lot of good information, as always, from Ben on these underclass guys. Uh, but I'll, yeah, I'll let you I have think the, the final pitching, word, Ben. It's your list. I, was say, I think the pitching, too, there's a good group of arms, particularly the top three arms in the class right now where we're probably generally more conservative than others as far as ranking you know pitchers who are 16 17 years old uh but you know you asked where ethan holiday would rank if he was in the 2024 class i think a good question is where seth hernandez would rank if he was in the 2024 class so he's the number one pitcher for 2025 and there's a pretty good group i think the top three with him um you know he's from california marcos paz um right-handed pitcher from from texas josh hammond right-handed pitcher from north carolina but uh seth hernandez i don't know i don't know who you think the top pitcher in the 24 classes right now but i i think he'd be in the mix with that top group if he was in the 2024 class it's a it's a very smooth, easy delivery, uh, good athlete, throws a lot of strikes and misses a ton of bats. He's pretty consistently 92 to 95. He's been up to 96. He has a devastating changeup. Um, it's going to be a plus, if not 70 pitch potentially for him. We're getting a little Dylan Lesko changeup. It's it's pretty good. It's pretty good. And then he he can spin he can spin a curveball too. I think his fastball and his changeup are so good that he hasn't needed to use the curveball quite as much yet, which also might sound a little Lesko itch. He doesn't spin it. This, I think, this literally sounds well. like a Dylan Lesko clone profile, Ben. You're getting me way too excited. Yeah, he's a six four, hundred and ninety pounds. Like there's more upside. He's gonna for him to throw even harder so uh, a lot he, of... he also is a two-way player and Dylan Lesko also was <laughs> so <laughs> yeah this is this is ridiculous yeah yeah I mean he hits the ball hard but it's just man he's he's so good on the mound that it's hard to <laughs> hard to see the upside uh, as a hitter being as high as it is as a pitcher because it's it's pretty special yeah. on the mounds I mean that was exactly Lesko too he was a pretty good shortstop in his own right so <laughs> pretty athletic but no he sounds phenomenal I think the 2024 class, 
we don't have like a clear and obvious runaway favorite for the top pitcher. I don't think there's kind of this cluster of guys who we don't have ranked even really in like the mid or upper first round range. Like last year we had uh, Thomas White as an underclassman and then Noble Meyer pretty quickly established himself as the guy. And, and those two were always pretty, pretty high in the class. Like previously we've had Lesko, uh, Andrew Painter, Jackson Job of the world. It, it doesn't seem like we have one of those in 2020 yet. Maybe next spring someone will come kind of jump and become that player but if there is one in this class i don't i don't feel confident that i know who it is i think it's more a group of like the tegan coons can caminetti joey oki william schmidt like all those guys i like quite a bit and on any given day you could think they are but on any given other day like they're just more inconsistent inconsistencies i feel like so yeah i feel pretty confident that he would rank towards the top of this this pitching group as well yeah, he uh yeah, like him like him quite a bit. I think yeah, overall it's a pretty strong group, not to the level that 2023 was or I mean the 2026 we can get to him later, but that's shaping up to be <laughs> pretty exciting so far, but um yeah, I think it's a pretty pretty solid group, but I think it'll be a step up from where from where 2024 was at this time uh at this time last year. Who are you most excited to see at Jupiter this year? Are any of these guys going to be there that that you're focused on, or what is your what is your plan for Jupiter as we get closer to uh, heading out there? Yeah, I'll probably because I know you'll be there too, seeing a lot of the draft guys for 2024. Uh, I'll probably focus a little bit more on the underclassmen, but at the same time, one of the nice things about Jupiter is, especially um, you know, on the main quads there's four games going on at once and even if you're just there uh you know the primary guys that you're there to see in one game might be you know whether it's 2024s you'll see a bunch of 2025s on the same field too so it's good to get Mm -hmm. uh, looks at players from different classes all competing against each other on the same field too um it does seem it does seem like it's a little bit down this year just the overall the overall talent that's going to be there relative to previous years i don't know if you feel the same way i i feel like at least on the rosters it's probably i would say only correlated to the fact that we we don't feel strongly about the 2024 class as a whole in terms of like the top players being there it seems like a lot are at least rostered whether or not they actually are there on the field we'll we'll find out um i mean but it's so common now for a lot of the top guys and especially a lot of the top arms to shut things down in the fall that i don't know it didn't jump out to me as much as maybe it did to you that the talent was down outside of any of our thoughts about like the the relative strength of this year's draft class yeah i I thought it seemed to me like more more of the top players than usual were not there um but at the same time, it, it probably is somewhat of a, I think it's something of a, a trend too now where more players are opting out of playing in the fall, maybe in part. It's just, it's a long, it's a long season. Some of these players have been going since February and then USA Baseball played in the U18 World Cup in Taiwan. So you had players who went to, you know, you you've been playing all spring 
you jump into what the USA 17U stuff in in June and, and stuff even before that in, in some cases, PDP, uh, the kids are going to the you know the 17U WWBA down in Georgia. They're going to um, you know other tournaments. They're they're going to East Coast Pro. They're going to area codes, and then they're going to. They're even more All America games now. There's Baseball Factory's mm-hmm. All America game. PBR now has an All America game. Future Stars has an event uh, that actually just happened this past weekend. So there are more events in such a tight window that it doesn't it doesn't really surprise me that a lot of kids are taking off you you just ran down the whole gamut like a lot of these guys especially the top end guys they're id'd for these premium events they fly all over the country they're playing all summer after they finish their high school season many of them are also playing multiple sports on their high school teams so if they're playing football that started up um and also they're just worn down they're exhausted the pitchers I think a lot of the kind of the elite prospects uh, at least do a really good job of at least being aware of how many innings they're throwing and managing that. Um, that can be a, a hurdle for like trying to get the best arms to Team USA. That's been a, a consistent issue with, with Team USA. Just you can't get the top arms because of when those events happen in the calendar. They've already thrown so many innings. Uh, so it, it doesn't surprise me. I think really i guess since the first year i went to jupiter it was a case of like a a, there are a number of top players in the class who just aren't there because of these reasons Uh, and so for that i think it's a good chance to see either maybe get some more looks on depth players who you haven't seen uh or of the top players that that maybe you just missed uh at an event for one reason or another Uh, so you can kind of pick your spots get better looks for the class as a whole Uh, for me it's always uh not always but it, it is often the first time i'll see Notable underclass players. Uh, I remember seeing Kevin Parada here when he was an underclassman, and I was kind of on on that bandwagon ever since. So um, I think you do most of your like heavy hitter targets in the summer, and Jupiter is kind of a big scouting convention, and you get to see players in maybe a more uh, more of a game environment than you maybe get on the the summer showcase circuit. Yeah, and I, I think especially with USA doing their 18U trials at the end of August and then players going to Taiwan who made the team, which, you know, they, they're picking off a lot of the best players in the country, both for trials and then to travel to Taiwan. A lot of them are just saying, like, like I've, <laughs> I've, I've played enough this year. Like, at some point I need to yes. be home and rest and train and, and be actually, a kid <laughs> yeah just get and just get focused on getting stronger too uh, which it's yeah like you said like these are high school players right like it's not easy to be constantly traveling uh well trying to play travel baseball or showcase baseball on the yeah. road eating and hey, school, school is important too. And a lot of these guys are traveling so much. You're missing some time at some point. You, you got to be in class. <laughs> yeah. Well, for, I mean, it's not so much an issue in, in the summer when they're traveling, but you sure, know, like but with, I, the, a lot of these events are tailing off and because the, from the, like from MLB's perspective, the, the summer has been so compact that a lot of events are either like, there's a lot of logistical hurdles that the event runners themselves, they don't want to overlap with other big events because they want all the top players to come to their events. And so in a lot of cases, they get pushed back in the calendar. So you do 
the summer showcase circuit almost turns into like a summer and fall circuit in a lot of cases. Uh, so I, I definitely think that's more of a factor the last few years as MLB tries to run more events, as, as more uh, event runners start to host these like premier showcase events. Like it's just a lot of competition in a very compact window of time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I can see that being, hmm. being the case. Um, but it's, yeah, it's a good opportunity. Uh, like, I, I think we still see a lot of the top position players who mm-hmm. will be there, but certainly a lot of the better arms are, have, have shut it down at this point, at least especially I think for the, um, for the upperclassmen who have agents or, or advisors who are saying, Hey, just, just shut it down like you showed what you need to show mm-hmm. in the summer there's no need to go which i'm sure is a source of friction with a lot of the travel ball programs oh, that certainly so want their want their best <laughs> arms there yeah i'm sure they're bummed because i mean this is the from the travel ball team perspective this is like the world series for them like everyone wants to win this event not that they don't want to win every other event they're in but yeah yeah. What is what do you think of the argument that they say, like, if you want to like like co- like college teams are starting up fall ball now. So why, you know, they're having their players play now. If if you want to play college baseball, should you, you know, should you really shut it down for the fall? That seems like almost a ridiculous argument to me. Are people making that? <laughs> uh, I've heard it. Okay, that that's insane. I think it's entirely dependent on like the player's individual schedule. Um, all these teams are competing for the best talent they can find. I don't. I mean, I'm, I know that there are some teams that are very loyal, very like family oriented, like club oriented. But I mean, all these teams are trying to get the best talent they can. So. The, the players need to look out for themselves. The players know how much they're playing. I don't, I don't buy the argument at all that you, <laughs> you're not serious about playing at the next level. If you're, if you're shutting things down in the fall, like if you just went through all these events that we just finished talking about, you play your high school season, you do the whole summer showcase, you're traveling around the country doing all these events. Like at some point you need to rest. Like our industry is filled with overuse injuries. There are too many events for, for players to go to all of them. I, I think that doesn't make any sense at all to, to to use as a serious argument like the the players in college right now who are gearing up a lot of those guys just took the whole summer off like they weren't they weren't flying around playing at every event like it it just doesn't make sense as a comparison to me at all so i don't, I don't buy it yeah i think it's not not the same it's not an apples to apples comparison yeah and those are players who are older um, you know, we're yeah. talking about college young men. It's a little bit different. We're talking yeah. about uh, high school players and, and and pitchers in particular. Like, you know, for position players, it depends. But hmm. um, at the same time, it's I think like you said, it's it's an individual case by case basis. Like Walker Jenkins played at um, in Jupiter last year. Uh, he also missed a good chunk of the summer with injuries. Uh, Mm -hmm. Kevin McGonigal played in like everything last year (laughs) and he played in Jupiter because like you can't peel him away from the baseball field like Colt Emerson uh, Mm -hmm. you know was was the same way but like all right like there's plenty of other players who didn't play there and it made sense position players pitchers where 
yeah, like they just needed, just need a break. Like it's fine to take some time off if you miss one travel ball tournament, even a a big one, the one that's like the last one with your <laughs> with your teammates who you've been for, you know, teammates with for in some cases since you were like little kids. Like in some cases, this is the the first event with this team because it's just a bunch of free agents. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, that's true too. So like, I, I understand if players want to go and and play, and it's great. Like we'll we'll be there. We're, we're gonna go yeah. watch players but um if you don't it's not not that big a deal either like there's so many other opportunities throughout the absolutely throughout the summer for everybody in the industry to yeah to see just, these players and then just because the someone is well. holding an event doesn't mean you you have to be at the event like they've been playing quite a bit if you're getting your reps in you're you're competing you don't you can't do that 24 7 it's it doesn't make sense to it's counterproductive so yeah, I, th- I think it's if, if the top guys aren't there, then guess what? We get to focus on some more of the depth. There'll be opportunities for other players to get seen, and you still need to see those players too. So there will be there will be more than enough for us to watch. Too much for us to watch. So whoever is going to be there this year, I'm excited to watch and just get get to the field, uh, see some scouts, see some coaches, see you, Ben, hang out with you a little bit, pray for no rain, uh, and not use an umbrella while I do it. So I don't understand your your antipathy toward just basic um, at this point i have to just dig my heels in because you were so adamant about the umbrella and i'm just give it no thought so now it's just like my (laughs) i have to have the no umbrella take now just to counterbalance you your measured rational brain are there are there players in particular or, or teams in particular that you're looking forward to targeting while you're out there um I would say actually the the Canes national team slash New York Mets scout team, it's loaded every year. But the fact that PJ Morlando is on it, there are a few big events that I was at that that he didn't play in. Um, I've seen him before. I saw him at the high school America game and he was quite good there. Um, But he wasn't at uh, area codes. Um, So I'm just excited to see him. I think he's got a chance to be maybe the best hitter in the high school class just in terms of hit and power. I'm excited to see him um, in terms of other teams. I need Team Elite to actually post their rosters. They always have good teams. they got three three different clubs, uh, so I'm assuming they're going to have some good players there. Um, other teams, just kind of scanning down my list here. Uh, USA Prime National, uh, the mm-hmm. Detroit Tigers scout team, looks fairly loaded. I- I'm excited to see a little bit more of Carter Johnson and Skylar Sanford. Uh, there are a number of other players on that team, but those two in particular, I'm excited to see. Um, I'm yeah, excited. They have, I was yeah, just going to have Kale Fountain is on that team, big mm. power hitting third baseman. Cole yeah, they Myers, have. Son if you, of Brett if Myers. you take Kale Fountain and Jaden Alkaikia, you might have some of the best just raw power overall between those two guys. Like <laughs> Alkaikia backspins a ball so well in BP. So maybe I'm I'm looking forward to seeing him too in more in-game situations because he did swing and miss quite a bit in-game. Uh, so seeing some more in-game performance from him will be fun. Yeah, they have two of the better underclassmen for 25 on that team too. Sean Gamble, mm-hmm. uh, infielder, outfielder, just really good athlete. Um, big power too, power, power, speed. Josiah Hartshorn, outfielder from, uh, from California who had a, a really big summer for mm-hmm. himself. Right-handed hitter makes really hard contact and makes a, a lot of contact too. Very little swing and miss too. So I'll be uh, probably seeing you at those games too. <laughs> yeah. You'll definitely see me there. Um, 
I mean, Knights Nation, the Dodgers scout team, they have a number of arms listed, like William Schmidt, Bryce Navarre, I was really impressed with uh, this summer. I'm not sure if they're going to be there in pitching, but if they are, I imagine those games will be pretty heavily attended. They also have Connor Griffin on that mm-hmm. team, so getting more just in-game looks for me, for him with the bat, uh, will be really, really good. So that's another team. Um, the Scorpions scout team, I hope to see them. Like They won't be a priority for me because... As far as I know, the the underclass guys are, are kind of the spotlight for them, but they do have Ethan Holiday. Um, so if I can just get a chance to see them against someone maybe that's playing some upper class, I would I would like to get more looks of Ethan Holiday, um, just because he's he's that good. But how about you? What teams or players are you looking forward to seeing? Yeah, yeah, I think those teams are are good ones. Uh, the Wow Factor has uh, a bunch of good mm. underclassmen who are pretty prominent on our lists uh like sebastian norman who's a third baseman looks like a nose tackle hits the ball <laughs> as hard as anybody uh and can also run a six five it's jarring to to watch uh omar cerna as a catcher uh huge arm strength huge raw power uh some arms like justice de jong uh miguel syme jr hmm. uh, jacks bishop uh 2026 uh two-way player kevin roberts so a um, bunch of a bunch of really good players who are uh, on that team for for underclassmen who will be keeping an eye on uh, the Canes have a, a seven a, their seventeen U national team is there so uh, they have a whole whole bunch of really good underclass players on yeah. uh, on that team. Uh, Ty Thompson is a, a shortstop. I saw a little bit of uh, during the summer. Excited to see some more of. Um, of him out there and then uh i think i think from the 24s i'm excited to see uh theo gillen is mm, yeah um is on the the lone star national team him and Cason cunningham so two really good shortstops for 24 and 25 um you know he's had some injuries over the last couple of years where i haven't been able to see him in person as much uh but what i've what I've heard from when he's been healthy has always been very, <laughs> very good. So uh, yeah, and and after your breakdown of Cunningham, like like seeing that team uh, might be pretty pretty high on the list for me too. Another team, um, I was just scrolling past them. Uh, Cam Caminiti, what team is he on? There are a couple of good players on the. He's team. on the East Cobb, East Cobb. Astros. Team? Yeah, or I'm no? Not... Am I thinking of? No, you're right. You're thinking he's on East Cobb, uh, San Diego Padres scout team. Right, yeah. Um, so he's on that team. Bryce Clavon is at, on that team. I think he's uh, he's just playing football for the uh, fall. Because so okay, cool. he, he, he was in Taiwan, too. So. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. But, so yeah. I'm not sure if Cam is pitching. If he is, I'll be even more intrigued. Um, but it would, wouldn't surprise me at all if he'd shut it down on the mound at that point. So that'd be another one. Yeah, yeah Eric Parker's on that team too um they have a good underclass team there too with uh, mm. josh gibbs a 2025 shortstop um and and ryan mitchell um i think for, for kids from uh, georgia and is think, ryan Tennessee. mitchell playing on the underclass team or on the east cobb the padre scout team he's listed on the, the padre scout team i don't know if he's playing on an underclass team yes we'll find out I yeah this is always fun too with underclass he, well, there are, there are always a couple of players who are listed on multiple rosters. Even sometimes right. I've seen them with different orgs entirely. Uh, so that's always fun to figure out, uh, as well as the, the jersey hunt. But once you're there, it's pretty easy to figure out who's playing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a lot of these guys, too, I've seen 
we've seen a lot of over over the summer and over the last couple of years too. So it's yeah. some of it's just building history and then going to see guys who um, are just going to see games and then seeing who pops up from there as players. Who Absolutely. Might be. Like, I feel like Florida burn doesn't have a roster that jumps out to me, but Florida burn is always a, a team that has run really well and plays really good at this event. And they always have someone who's really interesting. So they're an org that I'm, I'm constantly uh, excited to watch, even if the, the roster on paper maybe doesn't look as crazy as some of the other ones. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Brewer Scout team has some pretty interesting underclassmen. Brady Ebel, uh, who we talked about, he's the son of the Dodgers. Uh, oh, I always screw it up. Is it is it bench coach or third base coach? Um, Not sure. Yeah, he's the – let me look. Oh, yeah, third base coach. Right yeah, okay. Dino Ebel. So uh, he, he looks like the son – of a coach, everything <laughs> is very polished, even though he's one of the youngest players in the class, both offensively and then defensively, very fundamentally sound player too. I think I said him and him and yeah. Jackson Holiday, um, you know, those guys, Dean Moss, some of the best plate discipline yeah. in the class, uh, probably better pure bat to ball skill too, relative to, uh, to Holiday. Uh, very mm. rarely see him swing and miss uh, a lot of really good offensive especially components to like with him so excited to see more of him and then uh be a fun fun infield with him and jacob lombard who's a 2026 uh, he's the he's this also the son of a uh, coach uh, tigers bench coach george lombard uh, and of course the younger brother of george lombard jr who was the yankees first round pick this year so yeah um more more bloodlines to watch. Oh, Fabio Peralta's on that team too, really. <laughs> Ultra-athletic center fielder for 2024. So uh, Another team too that is always really good and looks like it has a loaded roster this year as well is MLB Breakthrough Series. Mm-hmm. They've got a ton of 24s, and they also have Quentin Young as an underclassman or 2025 uh, prospect on that group. They've got Aiden Harris, uh, Samuel Richardson, David Hogg II, Noah Sheffield, Sir Jamison Jones, who has an 80 grade name um and is just massively physical but all those players are, are super interesting and it sounds like young is a guy to know in, in 2025 yeah oh yeah absolutely um you had him pre- ranked pretty highly on, on your list yeah he's again bloodlines again he's the nephew of delman young and dimitri young and he's like he's enormous he's like six <laughs> six four six five two hundred something pounds hits the ball as hard as anybody in this class uh strong arm too from uh from the left side of the infield so yeah uh some some very big tools um with him as well and then i i like seeing too the you know teams from california that come out east uh where maybe don't get as much exposure on the East coast as the, you know, some of the players who are based in Georgia, Florida, mm-hmm. more in the Southeast. So uh, teams like alpha prime where you have a, a two way player for 25 uh, Mason Pike shortstop, good hitter also gets on the mound, throwing 94 uh, Brock sell another top 50 player, uh, good athlete, good hitter in that 25 class. Uh, he's from California uh, Dylan Moss, the younger tw- 2026, younger brother of uh, of Dean Moss, who's also a pretty good 
he's a catcher, a pretty good prospect in in his own right. Uh, the BPA team has Seth Hernandez, who I talked about. You'll probably want to <laughs> see if you can. Yeah, Seth Hernandez and Billy Carlson. That that mm-hmm. might be the one underclass team that I circle. I'm like, yeah, I'd, I'd have to see this one. Like, I think it was Kevin McGonigal when he. I think he was on a Canes underclass team a few years ago. Um, but yeah, I I definitely want to see the game he's pitching. Uh, hopefully, they're actually posting their their arms as we get closer. Yeah, yeah, those guys. The CBA Marucci team has some. They have some good twenty fours. Uh, you know, Danny Arambula, an infielder. Uh, Nick Montgomery, uh, Brock Thompson, an infielder, and then Ethan Klaus from uh, from Nevada, a shortstop. So uh, always good to see the. Uh, West Coast guys. I mean, like other West Coast teams. I don't want to run through <laughs> every single one, but um, definitely like to see the West Coast guys when they're coming out east too. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be fun. Uh, this podcast has gotten me more excited for it. I wasn't at at the event last year, and it's uh, that's a rare occurrence. So I'm excited to be back in Jupiter, Florida. Um, that's all I had for today, Ben. Anything else you want to chat about before we hop off? No, I got a, I guess I got a pack. <laughs> yeah, pack your umbrella. Get ready. Yeah. Ready for the rain. I'll bring a couple uh, for you. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll see you there, Ben. Um, but yeah, thank you guys for listening. We appreciate the support. Definitely check out Ben's list of the 2025s uh, in the high school class that we just ran through. Uh, we got playoff stuff coming up so we'll be covering that on the site and on various podcast feeds as well we're running into awards season so as we run out our our awards for the regular season those will be on the website uh today we announced shohei otani winning the mlb player of the year we haven't even talked about that at all but you know that that happened today so congrats to him um yeah thank you guys for listening appreciate the support uh for ben i'm carlos we'll see you next time